dear Father, this morning we thank you that you are the great I am. God, now I pray, we pray, Lord, by the power of your name, through the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would touch and that you would restore what's broken in our lives here today. There were hands that went up and people who are struggling. God, show them the power of who you are, the power of your strength, the power of your peace, the power of your healing. God, that in a miraculous way, even now and throughout this week, that you would remind each person that's here, especially those who raise their hands, that you are the great I am, that you are in control of all things, that you hold us in the palm of your hand, that you love us. God, we thank you for the beauty of who you are. We thank you that you are love, that you are mercy, that you are grace, and you are forgiveness, that you are life. We thank you that we worship you, the one true living God. And this morning we declare that you are the great I am. We thank you, God. We're humbled. We're amazed by you. And now may your spirit continue to work now in our lives as we open up your word, God, that you would continue this thing. You continue to show us who you are and what you desire to do and how you desire to move in and through us. God, we thank you, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You can have a seat. Wasn't that awesome? Thank you. Just a great team. Thank you for your leadership. It's great. Wow. Just amazing, and it is good to be here this morning. If you are visiting with us, uh, this is not our normal place that we worship. We've been here for the summer. God has given us this place. We are blessed with this place, but there is another place right across the parking lot and uh, where we normally worship that's getting renovated right now. In fact, I want to encourage every single one of you here to show up next week and bring someone with you because next week is going to be a pretty incredible time for us as a church. We're going to worship here. And uh, I'm going to preach here, but uh, the service is going to be a little bit shorter. And at the end of the message, we are all going to get up we're going to walk across that parking lot. We're going to dedicate that worship center to the Lord. That's what we're going to do. It's going to be a powerful time. In the light of that, I want to encourage you to think along a couple lines. First of all, you may have received already or you will when you walk out this little card. This little card. It has worship center prayer and rededication on the front side of it. I'd like you to think about, pray about what prayers you might write on the other side, what scriptures you might write on the other side. And here's what we're going to do next week. When we get up, there's going to be two opportunities for you. Either with you, your, your spouse, your family. You're going to gather your kids together and just you know, pick a spot on the floor and just write these passages of Scripture, these prayers, right there on the floor. We're going to give you pens to do that, to dedicate that building and talk you know, to God about this is who you are. We want to worship you. This is the power of who you are. Just dedicate that spot. But also, these cards are going to be placed in a time capsule. And they're going to be placed underneath the front platform there where we preach the Word of God. And those prayers and these scriptures are going to serve as a foundation from this time moving forward for the preached Word of God here at MCC. And so I want you to take part in this, huh? Let's take part in this. Pray about this. Let's take part in this next week. We're going to talk about the game changer we find in David, a powerful game changer, and uh, I can't hardly wait. It's going to be an awesome time. And uh, now, as we continue in this series, this game changer series, I want you to think about you. 
I want you to think about a significant choice you made in your life somewhere along the line that you looked at all the options, you made this choice, and as a result of making that choice in your life, you are still living out blessing today. You got that locked in? For me, uh, that choice would be marrying my wife, Carol. Tell you what, nobody has impacted my life more, has been so faithful to me, has, has blessed me, has shown me really the heart of people, more the love of God that he has for people more than my wife. It was the best decision I ever made apart from following Christ. Good decision. I am blessed today as a result. How about you? A choice you made that leads to even blessing today. Now, on the other side of that equation, what's a choice that you've made in your life that looked good on the surface? I mean, it just looked right. It looked good. And then you made that choice... And you've been living out the pain ever since. Think about that choice. On the lighter side for me, and there's choices I could talk about, but one thing I'll always remember, this choice that looked like the right choice, was the day I sold my Apple stock. I mean, that, that, um, that looked like the right choice. I bought it in the 20s, sold it in the 30s, thought I'd made a killing. Boy, oh boy. Uh, you can know my pain. If you actually follow the stock market, you know my pain for selling that. But yet there are those here this morning and you're experiencing even deeper pain as a result of that choice that you made. See, choices are important. In fact, study after study shows, you know, we talk about the pain we have in our lives. We talk about, you know, this going on and that going on. And this person did this. This is why I have this pain or whatever it might be. And sometimes it is the attack of the enemy. We just sang about that. But a majority of the pain that we experience in our lives, study after study shows this is a result of our own choices. Think about that. The power of a choice. And what we're going to learn today is this, that one choice can make all the difference. One choice can make all the difference. Esther is going to teach us that today as we take a look at her life. And you know what? We've been taking a look at uh, game changers up till now, all male game changers. I thought it's time to learn from a female. Can I hear the females in the crowd support me in this? All right. And we're going to learn from a woman today, and I'll tell you what, incredible lessons along the way, because here's what we're going to learn. That many times, even as believers, we march forward, we're making our choices, and what we don't realize is that we're really making a choice that's impacted by what the enemy seeks to do in our lives. We're not really seeking God's will in a situation. And so our choices are important. How we go about making those choices, how we act upon those choices, incredibly important. We're going to learn this from Esther today. And so I want to take you back with me to the year 483 B.C. This is a long time ago. I want you to think about that. This is about 40 years now before Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem to rebuild those city walls. We talked about that last week. Now, 40 years before Nehemiah rebuilt those walls, Persian king was reigning at that particular time, issued out these invitations to people to come for a party. Now, many times we get an invitation that says, you know, come on Friday night, you know, from 6 till 10 and have this party and we'll show up for four hours, then we'll go home. This was a party of all parties because this party lasted six months long. 
So you're invited by the king to come to his six-month-long party. And I'll tell you what, if you're invited by the king, you will show up, and you will be there for six months, okay? You don't really have a choice. But then at the end of this six-month-long party, uh, the king, in his good-naturedness, of course, he wants everyone to celebrate. So then he offers a seven-day festival feast, really, for all the people in the kingdom. Seven days long for everybody to join in the celebration. And so we shouldn't be surprised then that the Bible tells us that on the seventh day, the last day of this feast, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, which is a nice biblical way of saying that the king was completely plastered. That's really what we're seeing right here. Okay, so in this state now, he commands his men to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty. For she was lovely to look at. Husbands, don't try this at home. Okay, really, don't try this at home. Your wife should be respected, honored, treated as a treasure, not as an object. And so the queen, she's pretty put off, and she decides she's not showing up. This, of course, results in the egg all over the king's face. I mean, it's there. He had been shamed, humiliated. So as a result of this now, what should he do? And so the king, he consults his most trusted, his wisest advisors, the very ones who helped him get into this mess to begin with, of course. He goes to them and asks for what he should do. And they gave him this piece of advice. Since the queen had shamed him in front of all the people, her actions would give rise then to every wife at every home throughout his kingdom to disrespect their own husbands. So you've got to make a point here is what they're saying. And what you need to do is to banish the queen from your presence forever. It's exactly what he did. But this led to another problem. Now he has no wife. The kingdom has no queen. So how do you solve this problem? Well, they said you should hold a beauty contest and crown a new Miss Persia. And the very winner of this contest then would become your next wife, the queen, for all the people. Well, the king liked this idea, new wife, and of course he gets to pick the most beautiful one. This is a great idea. So the king now goes about making his plans, all the while being clueless to the fact that God has a plan. God has a plan, friends, and he is relentlessly committed to seeing it through. You see, long before this particular time, the Jewish people, of course, had rebelled against God by serving other gods. As a result of this, God punished his people, the Jewish people, his chosen people, by allowing them to be taken into captivity. But even so, all the while, God had a plan, a plan of salvation for them. Really, a plan of salvation for all people. That a Savior would be born in Bethlehem. But in order for a Savior, who comes from a Jewish line, to be born in Bethlehem, God's chosen people would need to be freed from their captivity in order to return to their homeland. How is this going to come about? Well, enter Esther. Esther. Let me tell you three facts, three truths about Esther. First of all, Esther was chosen. She was first chosen by God. God selected her, chose her. And as a result, so too eventually did the king. And because of her beauty, the king then selected her as one of the finalists for his beauty contest, which meant, of course, that she was pampered, provided special food, given a complete makeover. Ultimately, she won the contest, became his wife, and became the queen for all the people. And I think one little lesson along the way is this, that God can use you even if you're a teenager. doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, God can use you. And so Esther... 
She was chosen by God, eventually by the king, but also Esther was Jewish. This is an important fact, part of this story. You see, back then, a Jew would be a servant. You wouldn't be a queen. So this is important. She was Jewish. Esther was also an orphan. An orphan. And since her father and mother had deceased, she was raised by her uncle by the name of Mordecai. Important figure in this story. Her uncle Mordecai. This was her most trusted advisor. In fact, the moment she became queen, Esther hid her true identity as being a Jew based on Mordecai's instructions. You see, friends, a game changer has a choice to make. Will you go it alone and make your own decisions? Or will you bring other people along with you? Who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? Is there a godly person in your life you go to for counsel? Or are there persons in your life that you go to for counsel? Because this is what a game changer does. You don't go alone. You bring others into the midst with you. And you seek out their advice. This is exactly what Esther did. And Mordecai was that person for her. And Mordecai was like a father to her. He would also play, of course, central in history. Because as soon as Esther became this queen, well then, of course, Mordecai learned of a plot to kill the king. Listen to Esther chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And this plot came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. This book sometimes referred to as the book of memorable deeds. If you did something good for the king... And you are one of his subjects. If he did something to further the kingdom, your name would be put in this book. And of course, anyone whose name would be in that book would be deserving of great reward. And so along with Esther, God's plan was to use these particular events in a unique way in order to accomplish his purposes. See, God made sure that Esther was beautiful, that she was selected by the king, and then put in a position of influence. God was at work preparing her for the day when she would embrace his call on her life. So what about you? Are you listening? Are you open to responding to God's call and his plan for your life? Think about you for a moment. What special abilities has God given you? He's made every single one of us unique. What special abilities do you have? What sets you apart from others? Do you have the gift of creativity? administration in some way, communication, what gifts do you have? And then secondly, what unique position has God placed you in? You're right here in this church right now. That's a unique position. Where has he placed you at your workplace or in your neighborhood? And then, once you know your gifts and you know your position, let me ask you, are you prepared to respond to his call? Are you? Friends, two weekends from now, we're going to have a serving expo. And the Bible is very, very clear that we are to be game changers right here in our own church. To take the gifts that we have been given by God to make a difference in the life of this family, in the life of this community. I'd like you to think about and pray about what it would look like for you to respond to his call two weekends from right now. Because you see, friends, God's got a plan. He is relentlessly committed to seeing it through. And even though this is the truth, friends, we always also need to remember that Satan has a plan. Satan has a plan as well. And more than anything else, 
Satan loves to serve as a roadblock for everything that God seeks to be about. And how does he do this? Well, Satan uses prideful, egocentric people in order to try to thwart God's plan. And at the time of Esther, he found such a person in a man by the name of Haman. Haman. So we've got Esther the queen, Mordecai, her uncle, and now this guy named Haman. He is second in power only to the king, and he's also a very evil man. Take a look at Esther chapter 3, starting at verse 2. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. Why? For the king had so commanded concerning him. So the king had issued this decree that whenever Haman showed up, he walked by you. You were to bow down to him like he was a god. But Mordecai, of course, did not bow down or pay homage because he only worshipped the one true living God. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? When they spoke to him day after day and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai. So he's so ticked off, he's not going to take out just Mordecai alone. He wants to take out all the Jewish people. But he can't do this alone, you see. He needs the backing and the full support of the king. And so one day he comes to the king in a very deceptive way and he says, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Notice he doesn't say who they are. He leaves them kind of a mystery people, if you will. Their laws are different from those of every other people. They do not keep the king's laws so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. And so now Haman has the authority needed to act, the backing needed to act, everything he needs at his disposal to wipe out the Jewish people. And as he walks out the room there that day, Haman is smiling. But he's not alone because Satan is smiling as well. Why? No Jews, no Messiah. No Messiah, no cross, no cross, no grave, no grave, no salvation. In fact, the likelihood of Haman's success looms so large that Mordecai and Esther mourned for the demise of their own people. In their minds, the Jewish people were going to die. After all, when you stop to think about it, Esther had access to the king, but she was nothing more than just his prized possession. Mordecai, he walked with God, and yet he had no real earthly authority. Haman, he could do whatever in the world he wanted, and the king would support him. And the king, he held ultimate power but he was being manipulated by this guy named Haman. Think about your own life right now. Are the odds stacked up against you? Can you see no way out? Do you feel powerless in the midst of the situation and the storm that you're in? Then I encourage you to join with Esther and Mordecai, who would eventually soon discover what Christ himself would speak hundreds of years later. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. 
Will you say that with me? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now say it like you're going to blow me over. Say it like you mean it. Are you ready? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that is the truth, friends, because God has a plan. Satan has a plan. And here's the good news. A game changer has a choice. A game changer has a choice. And the choice that stood before Esther wasn't an easy one. See, Mordecai knew that the situation was bleak. He also knew that Esther had access to the king. And so Mordecai commanded her to go to the king and plead with him on behalf of God's chosen people. And as soon as she receives word of this, of course, Esther doesn't respond all that positively. She said these words, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out his golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So she's saying, you know, you just can't march into the king's presence. Even I as the queen cannot just go into his presence. I will die. The only way I can go into his presence is if he sees me. Holds out his scepter, calls me to himself, and only then I can talk to him. But the problem with that is, he hasn't called me into his presence for a month, and I'm his wife. Situation looks pretty bleak. Then Mordecai reminded Esther of the cost of her inactivity. See, there's always cost to inactivity. We talked about this last week. Many times we'll say, you know what, we look at a problem and we'll say, you know what, I didn't do anything to contribute to that problem. And the reality is that might very well be the problem, that you didn't do anything. You saw it, you could have stepped into it, and yet you kind of stepped back. There's always a cost to your inactivity. And he reminds Esther of the cost of hers. As a result, through his servant, he sends this message. He says, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace... You will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He's basically saying, you know what, Esther, it's you or it's someone else. Because God has a plan. He's relentlessly committed to seeing it through. So are you going to step into this and experience the blessing that comes along with it? Or are you going to let somebody else experience that blessing? And the same holds true for you today. Some of you know what God wants you to do. You're stepping back. And you're opening the door for somebody else to bring that about. Do you want them to experience the blessing? Or do you want to experience the blessing? Because God really intends it for you. Step through the doorway. Listen to what he has for you. Because Esther, you see, she had the same choice many of us have on a day-to-day basis. And what is the choice? Will I choose comfort or will I choose conviction? And this is the choice that's before us every single day. And what does that choice kind of look like? We'll take a look. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. 
You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Esther, it seemed that dark and that ominous. And Esther, she chose the red pill. See, Esther recognized her unique position. She also knew that God desired for her to act. But she determined before she would act in her heart and in her mind that she would not act in her own strength. This is why she tells these servants around her, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susan. And hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. He talked about fasting last week. He talked about how Nehemiah fasted. Here, Esther is fasting. Everyone that she knows and trusts is fasting along with her. And fasting is this time where we go without food for a certain period of time in order to put ourselves in a position of weakness that reminds us that we need God's strength. We need God's strength in this situation. You see, a game changer has a choice to make. We talked about one already. Will I make a decision alone? Or will I bring in trusted, godly advisors with me? And now she teaches us another lesson. Will I stand with others in prayer? Or will I act on my own? Friends, some of you got some significant choices to make in your life right now. And you're deciding what you're going to do. You think, you know what, you, you've weighed all the options. But have you brought others in to pray with you? to fast and to say, you know what, God, I need you more than anything in this situation in my life. And I am not acting in my own strength. This is how a game changer chooses to respond. Not on their own, but with others. What we learn here is that after a time of prayer, Esther put on her royal robes, stood where the king could see her. And the Bible tells us she won favor in the king's eyes. He holds up this scepter, calling her to himself. And as she walks towards his presence, the king said, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. I don't know about you, but that's quite a promise to make, especially when you don't know what's being asked of you, huh? But I think it also shows us that it's amazing what can happen when you place the outcome in God's hands. Are you placing the outcome in God's hands? Are you holding on to it really, really tightly? See, if we place the outcome in God's hands, I'll tell you what, watch out, because things are going to happen. I encourage you to join with the Apostle Paul, who later wrote these words. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is at work. Are you joining him? Are you joining him? Because I think at this moment, Esther is now both blown away by the unique demonstration of God's power, but also prepared to respond the very moment God moves in her life. Are you? Are you? Are you preparing your heart? 
Are you preparing your mind to respond the very moment that God opens that door? See, we should never be surprised when God moves on our behalf. But instead, and I want you to hear this now. Instead, we should anticipate our response to his actions on our behalf. We should anticipate our response to his actions on our behalf. It's exactly what Esther does here. She responds. Remember now the king's saying, whatever you want, you just say it. And what does she do? If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleased the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Tomorrow I'll answer your question, she says. And you got to ask, why wait? I mean, it's right there before you. Why wait? Well, because a game changer has a choice to make. Will I act now? Or will I wait for a more opportune time? Many times we think, of course, God's opened the door and the door's only open for about five seconds, so we better step through it now or the, the whole opportunity's lost. And what Esther teaches us is, no, God's got the door open for you. But you need to wait. Listen to those people around you. Come to God in prayer and trust Him. And then move in the right time. Because the problem is, much of our pain is due to us moving now. We move without waiting. We move without praying. We move without thinking and bringing people with us. A game changer waits for an opportune time. You see, God had been at work in Esther's life. Gave her confidence to wait on the Lord. God was also at work in Haman's life, in the life of the king. Haman, Haman, of course, wanted Mordecai to die. In fact, the Bible tells us he was even preparing the gallows just in the right way so that Mordecai would face his death according to Haman's every single detail. And yet God allowed Haman to be fooled by his own pride. See, while he would be but a pawn in Esther's strategy, Haman thought her request of a feast and the invitation she made of him to be there was really all about honoring him. It's all about me, he thinks, because prideful people, friends, rarely see things clearly. In fact, he receives this invitation to show up to this little party with the king and her, and he brags to others. He says, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also, I am invited by her together with the king. It's all about me. All about me. Meanwhile, while he's rejoicing in his self-glorification, the king is growing in his frustration. He goes to bed there that night, and he cannot sleep no matter what. It's driving him crazy. He's tossing, and he's turning. He can't get to sleep. You ever been there? Well, people, you've probably learned this, will do a variety of different things in order to get to sleep if they can't sleep at night. Some will pop a sleeping pill. Some people will count sheep. And I've even heard tell that if you get really desperate and you can't sleep, no matter, nothing else will work. If you get really desperate, some people will even break down and watch a Cleveland Browns game. You know what I'm saying? I mean, desperate people will do such of a thing. Well, the king, of course, he um, has no sleeping pills. I guess he could count sheep. Cleveland Browns hadn't been invented yet. So what does he do? He asks his servants to read from him at night from this book of memorable deeds, the ones we talked about earlier, that it gives account of all the good things that people had done for the king and for his kingdom. And as he listens in the middle of the night to this accounting, suddenly he's reminded of what Mordecai had done to save his life. 
And to this he says to the, those around him, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. Well, upon hearing this now, the king summons Haman to his chambers. Why? Because Haman is, is his most trusted advisor. And now if it's in the middle of the night and the king summons you to his chamber, either it's a very bad thing or it's a very good thing. Haman's got no clue. And so he shows up to hear this question from the king's lips. What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, well, who would the king delight to honor more than me? It's all about me. And he thinks, of course, the king is referring to himself rather than Mordecai. And so he thinks, okay, what are the things that I want for myself? This is a guarantee. I just say it. I'm going to get it. This is his moment. So he says, well, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the most king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him on the horse to the square of the city so everyone can see him, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Haman had thought it out, man. At the end of this whole deal, he's going to get himself a robe, a crown, a horse, a whole bunch of attention and adulation. Haman is completely full of himself, but he's also incredibly unprepared. Because the king listens. And of course, what does the king do? He always does what Haman tells him. And so he says, hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. (laughs) Haman walks out the room there that day, having no other choice. He has to obey. And he gives to Mordecai all of these wonderful gifts that he thought he was going to get for himself. How painful. How painful. In fact, the Bible tells us he basically goes home afterwards and cries like a baby. And then after cleaning himself up, he heads back to this little party, of course, that he had been invited to, the king, you know, with Esther. He arrives just in time to hear the king ask Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Well, these are not the words Haman was longing to hear. Sweet music and the sound of Esther's ears, however. And as always, she was willing and waiting to act the very moment that God moved. She says, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with a loss to the king. And it's at this point that Haman was recalling better days. Days when his power was second only to the king. Days when he could manipulate and get whatever he wanted. And now his pride was getting ready to give him a beating. And the king responded, who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? Esther raises her arm and points her finger in Haman's face. And immediately, two things happen. First, Haman's pride hangs him from his gallows, the very ones he prepared for Mordecai. Haman is killed. 
And Esther's faithfulness now sets the Jewish people free. You see, God has a plan. He's relentlessly committed to seeing it through. Satan has a plan. He is working all the time to bring down everything that God is about. In the middle of it all, there are, there's us. There's us. And the difference between the normal person is a, and a game changer is that a game changer makes the right choice. And Esther made her choice and the rest is history. So let me ask you. Many of us here would say, you know, I'm a Christian. But I want you to think about the fact that even though you very well are a Christian, you might very well be embracing Satan's plan. And what does Satan's plan look like? Well, Satan's plan is to give you doubt and confusion. You walking in that right now? Satan's plan is to give you depression and joylessness. Experiencing the reality of that in your life right now? Satan's plan is to give you pride and selfishness. It's all about me. Life is unfair, which leads to bitterness and disillusionment. That's Satan's plan. God's plan? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And while these words God spoke to a certain group of people, there are still things in these words, of course, that apply to us as his people here today, that if we join with God, with what he has for us, we will experience his hope and his future. So where are you at? Because reality is this, God has placed you in a unique situation. It might not seem all that unique to you because you're used to it, but he's placed you there. He's given you gifts that you are to live out. He's placed his call on you that you are to initiate. Will you take the red pill? Or you take the blue pill? One choice, friends, can make all the difference. And so what choice are you going to make this week? For some, the choice you need to make if you're going to be a game changer is to walk away from that relationship, that dating relationship, because that person's using you. They don't love you. For some, it's saying, you know what, to your boss, you know what, I know what you want me to do, but I can't do it. It's not really morally right. I cannot do this and to walk with God. For others here, it's to apologize to your spouse because you haven't apologized for years. And for still others, it's time to be honest with your spouse and tell them something they don't know that you've been hiding that's been impacting your relationship. These choices, friends, aren't always easy, but they're the right choice. They're the choice that God wants you to make. What choice are you going to make this week? And then two weekends from now, when we have the Volunteer Expo, what choice are you going to make then? Because the Bible's clear that we are to use our gifts for the betterment of the body. We are to participate and be involved and make a difference, be a game changer right here in our own church family. The opportunities are all around you. Choices, myriad of choices out there. What choice are you going to make? It's right there in front of you. You're going to go with God? You're going to buy Satan's deceit? Friends, one choice will make all the difference. And I encourage you to make the right choice.